Welcome to CBT Talks. In this episode, we are going over the Conquest era. That's right, Jake. The story of the Bible works. So, so CBT, CBT Talks. Talks. Well, you know, Joel, in this era of the Bible, the Conquest era, um, I personally like it when, when I'm doing my Bible read through every year. Because, you know, the Exodus and the law is, it's an exciting era, and there's there's tons of, of good stuff, and it, it really helps you get to know the, the character of God. But at a certain point, you know, they just keep talking about going into uh, the promised land and, and going into it and, and conquering it, and it gets to the point where I'm like, well, I'm just ready for y'all to go. I'm ready for y'all to go in there to conquer. I'm ready for all these promises to be fulfilled. And so there's this buildup, this anticipation, and then as we enter into this era, you know, Moses dies, Joshua becomes the leader. And so really at the beginning of the book of Joshua in the Bible, uh, you have this last minute, or I shouldn't say last minute, but you have this preparation uh, for war. Like what are the things that they need to make sure that they do? What are the things they need to make sure they get straight before they actually begin the conquest of the conquest era. So if we're going to break this era into like three main segments, we have, you know, preparing for war, we have the actual conquest, the the warring, and then we have uh, them entering the peace and the rest that they get after conquering. But for that preparing for war, one of the first things that uh, that God does in his word is he makes sure that the people understand, make sure that we understand as we're reading it, um, the need for Israel and for Joshua specifically uh, to be people of the book. Joel, can you can you speak on that a little bit, on Bible literacy? Well, I mean, we know that uh, all throughout Scripture, God gives instructions, promises, and prohibitions, and He requires that we know Him rightly as He has revealed Himself. And so throughout history, you have this this compilation of God revealing himself and, uh, and and making promises, speaking future things. And it's important for God's people to understand those things um, uh, so that they can appropriate in their present circumstance what God has already said and, and walk by faith. Mm-hmm. But when we get to the conquest era, God has already called the people into covenant. They have already... Um, they have rebelled against God at the banks of the Jordan mm-hmm. one time, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness while while one whole generation passed away. And so it's a real live example. It's a fresh example in their minds. And God is, is calling them again as a nation to walk by faith in this covenant that he has called them into. And it's, it's, it's very important for them to not step to the right or to the left of mm-hmm. God's law. Uh, the, 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 the bottom line is that God has made promises. Mm-hmm. He has told them that they would multiply, that they would become a nation. And he has, he has fulfilled these promises, yet they do not have land yet. But he has promised them that they will have land. He told them he would send the hornet ahead of them, that the nations would be terrified of them. Mm-hmm that he would give it to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. They would be blessed if they obey his law, cursed if they mm-hmm. disobey his law. Now it is game time. It is go time. Yeah. But they cannot obey God without knowing his word. Yeah, and you know, I think that, that the idea of you have to know God's word 
and that allows you to believe God's word, to, to put your faith and trust in God, because you know what you're supposed to believe, you know what you're supposed to trust, and you you know what God has promised, so you can believe that promise. And like you pointed out, and this is something that a lot of people, especially if you've never read through the Bible, you know they forget or they they overlook. No one who is an adult during the during the plagues of Egypt, during the crossing of the Red Sea, no one who's over twenty, um, like survives into this uh, conquest era. A whole generation passes. They're wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And so all the adults that made the decision of saying, like, we don't want to go into the promised land. We don't want to. We don't want to go out. They have all passed away, and it's their children. It's that next generation. And so there's all this— Everybody except Joshua and Caleb, of course. Yes, uh, everyone except them. The Bible specifically says, except for these two— um, yeah, just yeah. think about that for a second. You yeah. know, when they when they did the census, I mean, you know, some scholars estimate, you know, as many as three million of them. You yeah. know, and and you can argue about the number of of people. It was a we're, lot of people. We're talking about a ton of yeah. a, a a multiplied nation, mm-hmm. and only two of them get to go into the promised land. Yeah, and that shows us how. Uh, how important Bible literacy is to God. It was these two men when when they were when when the spies came back. It was mm-hmm. these two men that said God has promised us this land. Who cares if we're like grasshoppers yep. in these giants, you know, presence? God is going to fight the battle for us, mm-hmm. and 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 so Joshua and Caleb go in and 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 they 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 have a keen sense of awareness of God's character. Yep. He does keep his promises. He is faithful. But it is astounding that only two of them in, in, yep. this, in this whole generation, and it, it really is simply because we are a drifting people. We are mm-hmm. sinners, and we drift from what we have heard. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have to pay all the more careful attention to what we've heard, yep. lest we drift away. So this, this next generation... Um, they have spent their lives growing up, wandering in the wilderness, hearing about the stories of God, knowing the the word of the Lord, you know, away from also the idols of Egypt, which is an important fact too. So now they, they get to the promised land. They've been waiting 40 years to go into it. There's all this anticipation. They they cross the Jordan. Um, Joshua is their new leader since Moses has, has now passed away. But there's one other thing that they have to do in, in preparation for war, and that is throughout all of history, uh, mankind, we have a bad tendency to want to follow human leaders instead of follow the Lord uh, directly. And you even see this uh, in the previous era where, uh, you know, instead of wanting to to hear from God directly, the people really wanted as many degrees of separation as possible. You know, they, they wanted God to only speak to Moses, and then Moses can speak to Aaron, and then Aaron can speak to the other priests, and those priests can speak to them. So they literally wanted all these barriers and and separation. Uh, there's a couple times where they said, like, we don't even want to approach the tabernacle. We don't even want to get close to it because we're afraid of coming before God. And so when Joshua is the new leader, there's also this uh, there's also this danger of people saying, like, I'm following Joshua. I believe in Joshua. Joshua is the one who's going to win this war instead of, well, no, I believe in the Lord and I trust in the Lord. And Joshua is simply a servant. And so to make this really clear, um, the Bible does this amazing thing where God sends, uh, God sends the commander of the army of the Lord 
to prove right off the bat, no, no, Joshua is not the one who's going to, uh, who is the leader of the Lord's army. Um, and it, it's this really cool thing where when we see beginning of the book of Joshua, uh, the commander of the Lord's army come and Joshua, you know, like swear fealty and submit himself to this commander's presence. And some people say that it was a, a, a high-ranking angel. Uh, some people say like, no, that that is Jesus Christ. I personally believe that that's Jesus Christ because that's the title that he gives. And let me tell you, Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. And here's a another great example of that well and and i think a just just to camp out there for two seconds nowhere do you see an angel show up and the ground that they're standing on is holy yeah only when god is present is the ground holy Mm -hmm. and so this is most definitely jesus the commander of the armies of the lord yeah and so what you have throughout the previous era and this one is god constantly providing the people exactly uh, what they need, you know, he promo- he provided manna and food and water as they're wandering through the wilderness. And now, as they're preparing for battle, uh, the Lord is not only saying that He is going to allow them to have victory, but He's saying, "No, I'm I'm the one who's leading the army. Like I am, I'm the actual commander. Uh, I am your leader." Uh, and it's even this this picture of of how the the pastor and church relationship is supposed to work nowadays. You know, some churches, they, they love to follow their pastor. They're like, you know, we, we follow brother so-and-so. He's so great. He's so that. Well, you know, some churches live and die by the health of, of their pastor. And I would argue those aren't the most healthy churches. The, the church has one head, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the church should be following Jesus. And the pastor is simply the, the older brother, the under-shepherd, who is helping the flock follow Jesus even more closely. And that's really a picture that you have here with Joshua. He is the human commander of the Israelite army, but he's not the commander of the Lord's army. And he's taking his orders directly, uh, like directly from God. He is the under shepherd of the people because this is the Lord's army. It's the Lord's name like at stake. And so you have 40 years of anticipation. They're about to, uh, start this conquest of the Holy Land, and God is setting up all these things, saying, listen, Bible literacy is important. You don't forget my word. Your your parents, the previous generation, they forgot my word. They didn't believe. Look what happened to them. Remember what I did uh, to the Egyptians. Remember that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember these promises I made. Trust in me, and don't worry. I'm going to lead the army. Like I'm the one who's going to bring you victory. Don't, don't worry about losing, uh, because... I'm God, and I bring the victory. And well, there's all this—that's that preparation for war. Absolutely, and I and I think that it's it's really neat to point out that this preparation for Joshua as a leader began much earlier. And you know, it's true—you cannot separate the the spiritual vitality of a people from the spiritual vitality of their leaders. Yep. But it's it's really clear here that 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 God wants Joshua to submit to the real leader. Yep. But this formation starts back in Exodus 17 mm-hmm. when the they fought their first battle and the Amalekites attacked. Moses tells Joshua, mm-hmm. hey, go choose some men for war and go fight this war. Then Aaron and her co and they hold Moses' arms up and whenever the staff of the Lord is lifted up, 
the army is winning. Now think yep. about being Joshua, mm -hmm. because it, whenever the staff is up, they're winning. Whenever the staff is down, they're losing. And so you got two guys holding <laughs> yeah. Moses' arms. Like, yeah. We need to make sure the staff is up. Think about what that does for Joshua, mm -hmm. because at that point, Joshua gets it, and he becomes Moses's assistant. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, when Moses goes to the the, the tent of meeting, Joshua's right there with him. Yep. And it's interesting you brought it up earlier. People didn't even want to go near the tent of me meeting. Yep. They were they were terrified of the Lord. They knew how sinful they were. But Joshua never left mm -hmm. the tent of meeting. Yep. He was there continually. And so you have this scene. Jesus mm -hmm. is 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 telling Joshua like here's the battle plans here's what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. and by the way I'm in charge and you have this man who has lived his life in 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 a pursuit of this kind of submission so this yeah. isn't just a a one-off moment it's not a a surprise for Joshua yeah. it is a it is the culmination of a very long preparation journey for this man. God is going to ask him to lead the people to do what seems at, at a first glance irrational yep. battle plans, irrational things. But, you know, God wants to make a distinction in this era. This is not just any ordinary land takeover. Mm -hmm. God is pulling the strings. God is executing judgment on the seven nations of the land of Canaanite, mm -hmm. uh, of Canaan. And, and, and he is executing that judgment through his people. Yep. And, you know, if, uh, if you're listening and watching and, and you're wondering, how come we keep going back to, to the Exodus era? How can we keep referencing it? Well, it's because the Bible's one big continuous story. And, and the truth is these eras, like they, they tie in together. They they flow together. They're not distinct segments. As you read the story of the Bible, you realize it's it's one continuous story. So if we're going to talk about Joshua, like we got to start back in Exodus. Just like if we want to understand uh, God raising up Moses, we got to go all the way back to Genesis, saying like you know God said all this was going to happen uh, way back uh, in uh, what was it Genesis fifteen or uh, yes yes yep uh, so. Anyway, the Bible's one continuous story, but that's all the preparations for war. So as we move into that next major segment, let's talk about the actual war, the actual conquest. You know, Jake, just about on every episode, this book sits right here. And I bet you people wonder, what in the world is this book? Well, this is The 14 Eras, a summary of the story from Genesis to Revelation. This is a, a booklet written by Ava May, and it simply explains each of the 14 eras individually. That's right, and we use that booklet kind of like a basis as we're going through the 14 eras. It's a handy guide for anyone to help wrap their mind around the big story of the Bible and that 14 era framework. And the great news is it's available for purchase right now at ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com. Okay, so now we are done with the preparation. We're into the actual war, the actual conquest, and there was this first major battle of the conquest era, and it's the the Battle of Jericho, and this is such a, a famous battle. Uh, we even have songs about it. You know, and the song goes, "You know, 
Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and Jericho. Jericho. You're gonna do the whole song. Joshua Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. So here's the story of this battle, Jericho. This is the premier first battle, and God does something. I like that song. It's a good song. I I mean, it's it's Joshua didn't fight it though. Yeah, like that's the thing. Even the song when it tries to give this simplified version of the story. Uh, messes a, yeah, a few the commander things. of the army of the Lord fought the battle of Jericho. <laughs> yeah. No, because oh, here's goodness. here's the battle of Jericho. This is like the premier first major battle. Like this is this is like a it's supposed to be like Joshua's moment of like, hey, this is his first like major military endeavor. They cross the Jordan. They're they're trying to conquer this heavily fortified city. And just imagine you're one of the Israelites and you're in this army. And you're ready to hear Joshua's battle plan the Lord has given him. He's like, this is how we're going to conquer the city. And you would think like, oh, are we going to build big siege engines? Or are we going to encircle it? Or are we going to trap them? Is the Lord going to um, you know, do a miracle and like, you know, blow the gate up? So, you know, like what's what's going to happen? And <laughs> Joshua says, all right, hear me out. <laughs> and I think in my in my mind, he even says this. All right, guys, hear me out. Okay. So, we're not going to actually fight them today, but we are going to march around the city, and, and we're going to blow our trumpets, blow our blow our horns. People are like, oh, okay. Uh, sure, okay, yeah, let's give it a shot. So, they, <laughs> so they march around, they do that, and you can imagine, like, the, you can imagine the, the people in the army, the commanders, they're like, okay, no, this is good. We're like, we're like intimidating them, right? Because we're showing them how big the army is, and we're we're making this big sound. We're trying to psych them out. Yeah, we're messing their heads. Yeah, it's good. Um, so then day two comes along, and it's like, all right, what are we gonna do now? And Joshua's like, okay, now we're 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 gonna march around, and we're gonna blow we're gonna blow our trumpets and horns. Uh, we're gonna shoot any arrows, or we're gonna no no we're just gonna we're gonna march around, and we're gonna blow our trumpets and horns and shout. Okay. All right. Yeah. Day two, psyching people out. Sure. Well, just yeah. to be clear, I don't. I don't think they're they're blowing horns and shouting yet. I think they're just marching around uh, on for six days. Yes. Yeah. So they're they're marching around. It's like the show of force. They march around day one. But day but, two. Wait, but they, it actually makes it even even more ludicrous because yeah. they're they're not even doing anything but marching around the city once. So we're gonna we're gonna get together. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of, of you know, soldiers, yeah. and, and and they're just going to march around the city. And let's talk about let's talk about the size of the city and the fact this is this is an ancient times. You you have you have weapons, you have uh, armor, you are wearing sandals. It's not like they have comfortable shoes, and it's not like you know they get a, a don't have nice, Nike Air Jordan. Yeah, yeah, they don't have any of that stuff. So they're they're marching around this large fortified, like just walking for miles, like every day, and they march around for day one. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And it's like, hey, are we actually going to do any fighting? Are we actually going to do anything to, to win this battle? And seventh day comes along, and he's like, okay, this time, this time, we're not going to march around the city once. And everyone's like, okay, good, we're going we're gonna to actually do something. He's like, no, this time, uh, we're going to march around the city seven times. Are you kidding me, Joshua? Like, you want to be? Okay, fine. <laughs> March around the whole city seven times, but then after seven times, we're going to blow our trumpets, our horns, we're going to shout, and the Lord is going to win the battle for us. Like, that's that's what they're told. 
And so they march around the city on that seventh day. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Then they get out their instruments. Right? Trumpets, horns, and, they, and, and then those that don't have them, like, they just shout. Make this loud noise. And then something absolutely miraculous happens. The walls around the city, the Lord supernaturally tears them down. They fall down as rubble. So at this point, you have the Israelite army completely surrounding Jericho on all sides. The walls around the city have collapsed, and the army is able to march directly in without opposition. Now, this makes a ton of sense when you think about it, because if you are in a city and you're trying to defend it, where are you stationed? You're stationed on the walls. So like you have been preparing, like waiting for this Israelite army to charge. Like you're on the walls, you're ready. They go around the city seven times. Everyone's ready. Like, no, they're, they're doing something weird. They're marching around seven times this time. Then all the walls collapse. <laughs> they're doing something yeah, weird. They're doing something different. They're doing something weird. Like this this is the talk yeah, of the town I, in Jericho. You know, I've, I've never thought about what 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 was going on in Jericho. Of course, you know, later and we're gonna talk about Rahab, but yeah. I mean you know they're terrified. They're just oh, yeah. shaking in their boots, like what in the world is going on? And uh, you know, think about the sense of humor that God has. Before mm. he executes judgment on these people. They have to wait a full week in expectation of what's coming. Well, you know, and I think I think even that week of expectation is a testimony to God giving them seven days. Like, hey, you have, you see my army. You know what I've done. That's you a have, good point. You have seven days to repent. You have seven days to, to be like Rahab, who we're going to talk about in, in just a minute. But in this battle, God supernaturally tears down the walls. They, they come tumbling down. The army is able to march in completely unopposed. And so for the first major battle, for the first victory, we need to understand it's not that the Lord like made the Israelites great fighters, or it's not that they were in this big battle and the Lord like supernaturally allowed them to overcome their enemies. God performs this first battle in such a way that there would be no confusion, no mistake. The Lord God, Yahweh, is the one who won this battle. He supernaturally tore the walls down, defeated the army. They were able to march in completely unopposed uh, and take this city. Um, and so it, it's just this testimony of God saying, I want to make sure that everyone understands I'm the one winning this battle. But they had seven days, seven days uh, for the people of Jericho to see this and make their own decisions about what do they believe about God. Do they trust more in the city's defenses to protect them? Or do they believe that the Lord's army is actually able to conquer and is actually uh, coming to do what God said that he would do? And there's one woman uh, and her family that's in the city of Jericho who becomes incredibly important to the biblical narrative. And She's a prostitute named Rahab, and I think it is such a wonderful testimony in this first battle that God is not only demonstrating his military might and his power, but he's also showing this is how I deal with foreigners who choose to believe in me. And he's already outlined all of this uh, in, in the first and seventh giving of the law of like, this is what happens if someone wants to be grafted into the family. This is what happens if someone wants to become an Israelite and follow Yahweh. But you have Rahab, the, the prostitute, and, and the Bible says she was a prostitute. It doesn't say that she was, you know, just a, a regular woman. Like she has lived a sinful life her whole life, but she sees the Lord's judgment coming. 
Mm-hmm. And, and she meets some spies that are in the city before the battle actually starts. And she decides, she decides, like, I believe that the Lord's going to do what he says he's going to do. I believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that led these Israelites out of Egypt, the God that sustained them for 40 years while in the wilderness, the God that all this anticipation is happening, like the Lord's army is here, judgment is here. I don't want to be on this side of the wall, right? I don't want to be on this side of this judgment. I want to be with the Lord's army. I want to be with the Lord's people. I don't want to be one of those standing against them. So even though at that time, Jericho was this heavily fortified city. And even though she has lived in this city all of her life, and even though she had lived a sinful life, so she makes a decision uh, to follow God by faith, to help the Israelites. And because of that, uh, herself and her family are spared from the destruction uh, in Jericho. They were not harmed. They were not touched. And as a matter of fact, not only is she able to join the Israelites, but she's actually grafted into the lineage of Jesus Christ. So, uh, and I don't know how many greats it would be. It's a ton, but Jesus, great, 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 you know, like times 40. Uh, eventually you get to, you get to Rahab, this this prostitute who is living in the city of Jericho. And when God supernaturally conquered the city of Jericho for the Israelites, he made sure that Rahab and her family were spared because she chose to believe in God. And she got to enter into the Israelite family, and she got to become part of the lineage of Christ. And I think it's a testimony of, again, God saying, listen, I have military might and power, and you know, no walls, no army, no defenses can stand before me, but I'm also a merciful God. And I want people to understand right off the bat that if anyone chooses to repent and follow me, I'm not going to turn them away. They get to become a part of the family of God. And you just have this wonderful example of, of Rahab right there. Yeah, and I think it's really neat to point out because a lot of folks struggle with the fact that God told his people to go and execute this kind of judgment. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about everybody was to be killed, yep. everybody. And and so people have trouble with that. But, you know, you, you go back to Leviticus 18 and 20, and you see the the detestable sin of the Canaanite people. These these were not just, you know, everyday folks. They were, yep. they were rebelling against the Lord in extreme ways. But you also see through Rahab's story that even though God had had declared judgment on the Canaanites, here's a Canaanite, a prostitute, one who is partaking in the sexual immorality described yep. in Leviticus seven, uh, excuse me, eighteen mm-hmm. and and twenty, and yet when she repents, God forgives. It's yep. amazing, and and it's neat also to look at the fact that Rahab was probably not an older woman. She's yep. probably a younger woman. So mm-hmm. you you put her somewhere in her in her 20s or 30s. So just mm-hmm. just for instance, let's let's just think. They had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah. So when Rahab tells the spies that hey, we've heard about your God and mm-hmm. and we're terrified. I mean, our hearts melt. Yeah. We're talking about a, a young lady who has grown up hearing these stories, mm-hmm. N- not not in real time, but after yep. the fact, hearing about what happened mm-hmm. in Egypt. And, and so it is a remarkable story of all this time God has kept his promise. The people are terrified yep. in the land of Canaan of the Israelites, and yet 
when they chose not to go into the promised land, that first generation, mm-hmm. we see why it was so devastating. But we see, like you pointed out, the remarkable picture of of God taking someone who he had pronounced judgment on and at repentance, at the point of repentance, God forgives and he honors this woman and grafts her into the lineage of the Messiah. It's it's, it's incredible. And it it does give us hope for today because mm-hmm. as we look around in our culture today and around the world, but especially at America, it is fascinating. The day that we're recording this, a, a, a Supreme Court justice nominee yesterday could not give a definition of what a woman is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you think about the depths that our culture is plunging to mm-hmm. in real time. We we are in that we're somewhere on that spectrum of where the Canaanites were with yeah. their sexual immorality and their refusal to mm-hmm. acknowledge God. We should always remember the great promise of the Bible, though, mm-hmm. and we see it right here in the Conquest era. Yeah, if you repent, God will forgive. That's right, and you know that that theme is woven throughout all of scripture um you know this is jumping ahead a few hundred years uh but you know even the story of of jonah you know uh, people tell that story and they forget the reason why jonah fled from the lord and ended up being swallowed by by the great fish the reason why he fled is not because uh he hated god or anything he fled because he said that god told me to um, pronounce judgment to the city of Nineveh, this this evil city, just like Jericho. And Jonah said, I knew that if I told them judgment was coming, they might repent. And if they repented, you'd forgive them. And that's what he was running from. That's what he didn't want. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a theme throughout all of Scripture. When God pronounces judgment, um, the only reason to announce judgment ahead of time is to give people the chance to repent, to give them an opportunity to turn away from their sins and to choose to follow him. So when we read about, like, why are they marching around Jericho uh, for seven years? Why why was God doing all these great acts before the conquest era? Why were they wandering for, for 40 years? There's, there's even the story um, that we weren't able to touch on a lot when we went over the Exodus era, but if we remember the story of uh, either Balaam or Balaam, depending on how you pronounce his name. I like and, Balaam because I'm from Mississippi. <laughs> Balaam. All right, we'll go with Balaam. So Balaam and, and the talking donkey. And here's what people forget about that story. The The point of that story is not that there was a, a donkey donkey. No, the point of the story is he is a pagan uh, priest, all right, for hire, meaning that kings and princes of these uh pagan nations would pay him money and then he would either curse or bless whoever you wanted to. And so these people tried to pay him money to curse the Israelites. The Lord reveals himself to Balaam and says, no, no, the Israelites are my people. I have blessed them. Do not oppose them. Don't even think about cursing them. I'm on their side. But what you see is when when Balaam gets this revelation does he repent and turn to the Lord? No. Do, do these other kings and, and people that are relying on him to, to understand 
who God is. Do they repent and turn to the Lord? No. You see later on in the book of Exodus, him actually being killed by the sword uh, after he entices the Israelites to uh, to follow these foreign pagan idols. The, the Moabites. Yeah, uh, they, he, yeah they, he, the incident parole. Yeah. yeah he, he orchestrates this scheme where the Moabite women would seduce the Israelite men. Yeah. He said, this is how to take them down. Yeah. So, so all this happens, and you're like, well, God is revealing himself to these other nations. He's revealing himself to these people. He's, he's doing these great miraculous things, not just to show that he can do it, but as a testimony to who he is and as proof that judgment is coming. So when Rahab sees the Lord's judgment and chooses to believe she's able to be grafted in, you know, that's the whole reason why we have the gospel. That's the reason why, one of the reasons why we have the book of Revelation, the Bible. We are saying the same message they said back then where we're saying, listen, judgment is coming. The the commander of the Lord's army is going to come to judge the nations. And on that day, you want to make sure that you are a part of his army. You're a part of his people. You're part of his nation. You don't want to be on the other side of the wall. And so all of us in that sense, like we're just like Rahab, the prostitute. We are sitting uh, in this fallen, sinful uh, city that we call earth. And we know that judgment is coming. But if we repent and we choose to believe, if we listen to the messengers that God has sent into the city, the spies, and, and we choose to swear fealty to the Lord, like we will be spared, we will be saved, we will be grafted into his family. And so it's a wonderful picture of the gospel. We spent more time on, on that story than I planned. But man, I mean, talking about an amazing, awesome testimony of, of who God is and who uh, who Rahab is uh, in this big story of the Bible. But, you know, of course, there's many other battles that take place over the conquest era after this. And God, uh, over and over, supernaturally uh, allows Israel to have victory. And sometimes he'll allow them victory through just straight supernatural means where they don't have to really do much at all. And sometimes they'll say, you can't have victory if you do this, but if you do this, you're going uh, to lose. To to make sure that they understand every step boy they need to be following the Lord. And over the course of uh, over the course of years, uh, they then conquer uh, most of the promised land, most of the holy land, and all of the tribes end up getting their inheritance, end up getting their allotment. And so you get to the end of the book of Joshua, the end of this conquest era, and really you have this sense of of completion. It's like the Lord, after hundreds of years, he has fulfilled his promise. Uh, the Israelite nation uh, is now a mighty nation. Uh, They're as numerous as the sands on the seashore, the stars in the sky. They have conquered this land that was promised to them hundreds of years ago. Uh, the Lord said that he would continually protect them and provide for them. They're like, it is a high point as they end the the conquering of the conquest era. Cue back, background soundtrack, um, <laughs> yeah. emotional. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, stuff. it's 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 huge, and and it's 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 marked by this scene where Joshua brings them back to the Word of God, and he calls the people together, stands up, and and basically just recounts the history of how God has accomplished all of this, how mm-hmm. they've gotten to this high point in this conclusion. Yeah, and you know, and that brings us really to that third section of the conquest here. We have the the preparation for war. We have the actual war, the conquest. But then you have this time where they're about to enter this period of peace and rest. 
And Joshua has a, a last message he wants to give to the people and a challenge. And then we're going to see how that challenge unfolds throughout the next few eras. You know, Jake, the Bible is a big book. Mm. It is so big that if you really wanted to know the entire Bible, you, you'd left with the question, where do I start? That's right. How do I keep going? Mm-hmm. And what is the goal here? How do I know I've achieved Bible literacy? Well, we've got great news because on chronologicalbibleteaching.com, we have a page dedicated to this problem and answering this question. Mm-hmm. It's called Our Plan. We have plans for individuals who are reading through the mm-hmm. Bible uh, as, as a part of their quiet time. We also have plans for churches who want to implement Bible literacy as a DNA in their church. That's right. So if you've ever wondered, what is the next step on my Bible literacy journey? Follow the link and check out Our Plan at chronologicalbibleteaching.com. So in this final section, uh, you know, the Israelite people entering into this peace and rest. Uh, Joel, you were just saying, like, Joshua gathers all the people together after they've finished this conquest. And he's like, here's some, here's some things that, like, we got to get straight. Here's some last—here's my final message. Like, this is perhaps the last time you're ever going to hear me speak. And so here's what I have to tell you after, you know, Joshua has lived his life faithfully following the Lord, being— uh, discipled directly uh, by Moses, being in the tent of meeting, and then being the the human under shepherd, the commander of of the human forces of the Lord's army. Although again, Jesus is the commander uh, of the army, and so Joshua gathers the people and he says something which is often misunderstood. Wow. Well, he 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 gathers the the people together and. And it's important that that right here in Joshua 24, mm-hmm. he's he's older in age. He's he's saying his last words to the people, drawing a line in the sand, and and it's right here that we discover for the first time that God called Abram out of a family of idol worshippers. Mm-hmm. And what Joshua does with his final speech is he's calling people back to God and to a commitment to His Word. So the mm-hmm. the book of Joshua has two bookends. We have Joshua being told by the Lord, be strong and courageous. Don't step to the right or to the left of my word. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, follow it to a T. Yeah. And then we the, the book ends with Joshua telling the people, look, you must put away your foreign gods. Mm-hmm. You have to, to, to end this. And it's amazing. They, they never do. Mm-hmm. But God tells them over and over to put away their foreign gods. You, you go all the way back to, to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, where mm-hmm. the nation gets their name. Yep. And he goes through this amazing repentance moment where he tells his family, put away your foreign gods. Yep. So in this last uh, address, Joshua really focuses on this aspect. And he, and he points out, look, look, Abram was called out of a family of idol worshipers. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we've, we've struggled all the way through this story. And look, everything that God has done to provide redemption for you. Mm-hmm. And, and then look how we are continuing to struggle with idols. So Joshua's main point in, in the speech is, look, put away your idols. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, look, right now you have a chance to make a decision. 
right, God has called you into covenant. Mm-hmm. Look at all the amazing things God has done in this taking of the land. You've watched God execute judgment on a people who have served idols. Mm-hmm. And 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 you've you've looked at the detestable lifestyles of these people. And he says, look, uh, you, you, because of everything God has done, you need to put away the mm-hmm. the the gods that your father served on the other side of of the river. And and he says, choose for yourself this day whom mm-hmm. you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, mm-hmm. we will serve the Lord. And he. He he makes this charge, and the people say, "Absolutely, we're gonna we're gonna serve the Lord." Well, Joshua writes it all into a book. He, he says, "Look, you don't you're not able to do this." Mm-hmm. And the people say, "Oh no, we are, we are." Mm-hmm. He's like, "No, you're not. You're horrible. You're not gonna do this. You're saying yeah. this with your lips, but I know in your heart." There's like, "No, no, we're gonna do this." And so Joshua says that they are gonna be witnesses to themselves. He writes all of these words of the covenant that day in the book, and then he takes a large stone and he mm-hmm. sets it up under uh, an oak tree by the sanctuary of the Lord, and he says to the people, and this is important. Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, mm-hmm. for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to mm-hmm. you, lest you deny your God. And so the the people are set free to go to their own inheritance. It's incredible, though, what Joshua did there mm-hmm. in setting up this stone. It, it, is, it is going to be a continual reminder to the people mm-hmm. that everything that happens to them in judgment in the future mm-hmm. is their own fault. Yep. They committed to serve the Lord, and yet they chose not to. And this is this is just going to be the theme of the rest of the nation of Israel's history, um, and and they served the Lord all the days of Joshua, mm-hmm. um, but you know after the days of Joshua, we're going to enter in to the Judges era where they just throw God's word behind their backs. Yeah, and you know it it says uh, in Joshua was it is it twenty five thirty one. 20, 24. 24, 31. Uh, if you'll scroll down a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read off uh, since Joel's already turned there. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So literally everyone who's there to hear that speech, like they're following the Lord, um, uh, who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So you have this sense of Joshua makes this last big speech, you know, and, of course, we put this, like, you know, you go to Hobby Lobby and you can get, like, a hundred different versions of the same verse. Of, As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We put it on pillows and on little signs and we hang it up. And We will serve the Lord, but, man, when it comes time for, for checkout time, uh, we're, we're going to yeah. have that, that movie uh, on Netflix playing. Or, or hey, uh, yeah. Game of Thrones is going to come on. So, you know, yeah. we're going to, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, but. Yeah, you know, it's like. Well, even even as a as a, as a student pastor, you know, every time we go to camp, I, I'm telling you, what, like we take up the cell phones and we're like, hey, this is what you need to be focused on. And you know, all of our students are on a spiritual high for about three days, 
after youth camp or D-Now or something. They're like, we're going to serve the Lord. And then they get back to their, their normal lives. And the truth is they forget God's word. They they often throw them behind their back. They choose to to spend time. They choose to, to focus on these other things, these other idols in their life. And that's exactly what Joshua is saying when he issues this challenge to the people. He's like, listen, um, you need to stay faithful to the Lord. But I know your hearts, you're not going to be able to. Like, you're you're going to mess it, you're going to repent. You need to choose who you're going to serve. And it's interesting, you said that your you know, students, and it's not just yours, it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, students go to camp, spiritual high for three days. That's interesting because it, that is a recurring theme over and over in the Exodus and Law era. Yep. After the people come out of Egypt, they cross through the Red Sea on dry land. They sing this amazing praise song to God. Yeah. And then three days later, yeah. they're, why uh, can't we go back to Egypt? This is horrible. Yeah. God brought us out here to die. It just took three days. Yeah. Because well, yeah, people, so, we, we don't change. Our sinful nature doesn't change. So uh, I, and, yeah, and yeah we, you're right. We don't change. But I, I want to be... I want to be you know, easy on, on the students, you yeah. know, my, my, I've got an 18 year old and, and, and a 16 year old and, and a 13 year old, mm-hmm. but you know, they, they go and they see these, these bands and they're, I mean, it's like, oh man, it's mm-hmm. time to raise our hands and like, what, what a, what an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And the lights are flashing, the strobe lights are going, everybody's got a camp t-shirt. Yeah, they got the fog machine. Really cool. yeah. Oh yeah, they yeah. can't forget the fog machine. But the, this really cool hip, you know, mm. camp pastor preaches in this hip way. And, yeah. and, and he says cool words. Wow, what amazing. Look, that is nothing compared to witnessing the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah. The the parting like I can see the joy of a cool band and a a hip uh, camp pastor. I can see that wearing off three days. I don't want to yeah. be too hard on the students. Yeah. Like the Israelites saw the Red Sea mm-hmm. part. They walked through it and and yet and and here's I guess here's the point. When Joshua tells them to serve the Lord and they say we will Man, they're a fickle people. Mm-hmm. And we get to see the character of God and how he strives with these people because he's entered into covenant with them. But we also get to see the, the fullness of the brokenness of man. Mm-hmm. The very best on the earth, God's yeah. covenant people, are struggling big time. Yeah, and you know, it, it sets up um, really this, this next era, the, the judges era, with this idea that you know when we really need God, like when we when we need him to do something for us, when we're going through trials and tough times in our life, that's when we're willing to follow him. That's when we're willing to cry out for him. But once things are good, like once we start to think, I don't need God for anything this week, it's easy not to go to church. It's easy not to open your Bible. It's ne- It's easy not to pray for anything when you can't think of anything that you need help with. Like when you can't think of anything you need prayer for. Um, and that's what you see here is throughout the conquest era, you see... You see these these acts of faith and these these miracles, and everyone's like, "We're gonna follow the Lord. Look at everything He's done." But once they're entering into a time of peace and rest, once it's like, "Hey, we don't need God to win any more battles for us. Like we've we've already conquered the land," and it's like, "We don't need God to supernaturally sustain us with manna from heaven because we're not wandering the wilderness. We have our own fields and vineyards and and livestock and fields for grazing." 
once you get to that part where you're like, I'm not depending on the Lord every day for, for my physical needs, I'm not going through a time of trial right now in my life, it's really easy to forget the Lord and, and to put Him aside. And really, that's what you see, and, and that pattern is what we're going to see further developed uh, in the in the judges era, but I do want to touch on real fast uh, about like how this governmental system was set up in Israel like during this time, because you know we have a very uh, we have a very complicated form of government nowadays. Most nations do, uh, but back then we need to understand that when it said that each tribe went into their inheritance, um, really each tribe was uh, was practically speaking self governing. Like they were allowed to to rule themselves, to judge themselves, to you know they had their own uh, barter system for income. They took care of their own problems, and they were pretty much united only by two things, and that was the, uh, the Levitical system of priests and sacrifices, because the Levites had cities in each one of the inheritance, so that people could offer their sacrifices. Uh, and the other thing is they were all supposed to be bound together by every single tribe obeying the Lord and following his law and his commands. And so, for instance, a lot of the festivals and all of the weeks, they're all supposed to gather together and, and do these things would keep them united as a nation. Yeah, three times a year they would come to Jerusalem to observe these seven feasts. Yeah, and so you, you have all this set up uh, to where it's a really loose system where every family, right, every, every city, every region, every tribe— uh, was really like self-governing. So when Joshua's saying, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, he's not talking about like every individual like nuclear family. He's saying like, no, like each of our tribes and each of our cities and each of our nations, like we all have to decide who we're going to follow because the Lord is supposed to be our king. And the Lord is supposed to be uh, the one who who is our our government, and we're going to rely on Him to protect us, and we're going to rely on Him to tell us what is right and what is wrong, on even how to give the land a a year of rest, uh, in, 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 where we don't plant crops. Like all that stuff is outlined in the law, so that they wouldn't need like this hierarchical governmental system because they're relying on the Lord to be their king, which is why it's so. Um, it's so amazing where later on at the end of the judges era where the people are like, we want a king for ourselves. Uh, what Samuel says and what the Lord says back to Samuel is, no, listen, they've rejected me as king. They've rejected the Lord as king because I was supposed to be their king in this nation. They were supposed to follow me, um, but they're not following. They're not, they're not obeying me. They have put my word behind their back. And so I just really want to uh, to point that out that you know, at this time, we need to understand these are different tribes living in their own inheritance, but there is no big federal government really tying them all together. The idea was what was supposed to tie this community together was that they were all obeying and following the Lord. Um, and so that's just something I, I want to point out. And that's why when you get to the to the judges era, sometimes it seems like the tribes are doing their own independent thing. And the reason why is because they were largely independent um, at that time. But I, I just want to point out, just kind of give some context because, you know, we're used to every country having a large federal government and having, you know, a tax system and a president and, and all kinds of stuff. And they didn't have any of that back then. Um, they, they didn't even have regular taxes. All they had was a tithe that you would give uh, to the temple. So they had the local church where you tithe, but they didn't even have a, like a federal taxation. There was no... Um, 
united Israelite army unless the Lord chose someone to raise up to lead the army because you wouldn't need a standing army because the Lord was protecting you. I mean, the Lord promised if they had, if they obeyed him, they wouldn't need an army. Yeah. You know, the, the, the blessing would be so great they wouldn't be able to outrun it. And so, you know, I think the what what you said earlier, they were they were they were bound by God's word and mm-hmm. it was God's word, the law of Moses yep. that that unified them and governed them. And it's it's a shame that they did not keep their faithful promise that they made to Joshua on that day. You know, Joel, we are so thankful for our sponsor, ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com, because they allow us to produce CBT Talks for free and send it out to anyone and everyone as just a resource to help them on their Bible literacy journey. But, you know, there's other free resources that ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com also produces. One of those are weekly videos, and these videos includes a video that uh, previews that week chronological reading, uh, hard questions in the middle of the week that you might be thinking as you're reading through, and then even a review video uh, to cover that week's reading. And for anyone reading through the Bible, especially if it's your first time through, those videos and those resources are invaluable. And if you follow the link on the screen below or in the description, you can sign up to receive these free videos in your inbox and on the website as you continue on your Bible literacy journey. So Jake, in every era, we want to point out, as Iva does in the 14 era booklet, that yep. God acts, He speaks, and He reveals. Yes. And so let's talk about how God speaks, speaks. in the conquest era. Uh, well, the first way that God speaks is way at the beginning, Joshua chapter 1. God speak, uh, speaks and says that, you know, there's a link, there's a connection, a correlation between Bible literacy and spiritual vitality. Don't think that you can be, you know, people say like nowadays, like, oh, I'm really spiritual. Don't think that you can be spiritual. Don't think that you can be following the Lord if you don't know His Word. Those two things are connected. They're linked. You can't separate the two. You can't trust in God if you don't know what he has told you to trust in, you know? Yeah, and also God acts, and he he acts in, in all of Scripture. He acts in righteousness, and he acts in wrath. And we see mm-hmm. that in the conquest era. We see God parting the Jordan River in yep. the same way that he parted the Red Sea. We see him destroying Jericho. We also see God acting in, in wrath, he, he not only tells his people to execute his judgment on the Canaanites, but God acts in judgment on Achan yeah. and his family because Achan was stupid. But yes. God speaks, he acts, and he also reveals. Yeah. And so here's what God's really revealing. He's revealing that God rescues people who put their trust in him, even if they're from pagan nations. And the prime example, I think, of this is Rahab. She's, she's living in Jericho. She's from this pagan nation, but she chooses to believe in God. And so God rescues her, grafts her into the lineage. God also allows his people to encounter enemies in order to teach them to rely upon him and to demonstrate his power. Sometimes we wonder, like, how come we're going? How can we have obstacles? How can we have things to overcome? Well, sometimes the reason why we have things overcome is so that God can teach us how to trust and rely on Him, and so that God can demonstrate that He can supernaturally overcome 
uh, any obstacles that might come our way. And so we're always learning how to further follow the Lord. We're also learning how to trust Him in a deeper way. Uh, the Christian life is not one where you're not going to have struggles. It's just that if you trust in the Lord, He can give you the perseverance to make it through those struggles. And you see a great depiction of that in the conquest era. God didn't just like snap His fingers and give them the land and like teleport them there. He was like, listen, you have to conquer this land, but I will make sure that you're able to conquer it. But you have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to be a part of my armor. Like you have to be willing to to walk with me in it. And so, you know, God speaks, he acts, he reveals. Yeah. And and so in the conquest era, we see a God who keeps his promises Mm. and he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, and he delivered on that promise. So when we read through God's word and we, we we study his story, we need to appropriate what we learn about his character into our own lives. And we too live under a promise of rest, of a land. God has promised that all who submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior will receive an inheritance, an yeah. eternal reward with him in heaven, an everlasting life with him. Mm-hmm. And so even though these days are hard, even though we too go through difficult choices and circumstances um, we see in in this era that if we if we commit ourselves mm-hmm. to his word if we are strong and courageous in our day we do not step to the right or to the left of his word uh, god will keep his promise well you know uh, since you mentioned that i just got to add this this one last little thing you know that the story of the israelite nation uh, really, it's it's the story of each of our salvation the same way. We were at one point like Abram, worshiping idols. We weren't following the Lord, but God spoke to us. He called us into relationship. At some point, we, we enter into that salvatic relationship, and then we're like the Israelites. We're being freed from the slavery of our sin, and we're being delivered into a promised land uh, that that God has spoken to us about, and that is heaven. But in order to get to there, uh, we're going to have to go through this this wandering of the wilderness uh, where we're learning to trust in God. We're learning what his laws are. We're learning to obey him, and he's sustaining us. And then there's going to come times where we're going to have to to fight these spiritual battles. We're going to have to overcome these enemies. But we know what's going to happen like at the end of the line. We know what, what God's promises are actually going to be uh, when they are fulfilled. And so you can kind of see this meta-narrative story of the Bible and really understand like it's the story of all of our faith journeys as well because the nation of Israel itself is also on a faith journey just like all these individuals are on a faith journey just like all of us are on a faith journey you know that's why it's so important to understand and to know the big story of the Bible because you know what Joel the story of the Bible works so So, CBT talks Thanks for checking out this episode of CBT Talks. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can like, comment, subscribe. We have a Facebook channel, a YouTube page, and a main website, chronologicalbibleteaching.com. We're a nonprofit organization, so all those things helps get our reach out to more places. That's right. We're everywhere on the World Wide Web.